John Barnett here, and welcome to our study in God's Word of Ephesians 6. Uh, you've joined us in what I call the 52 greatest chapters. That's what those four letters stand for. We're in the 42nd of 52 weeks, going through a summary of the whole Bible of the key chapters, getting the message, the doctrines, and most of all, the personal application. But Ephesians 6 answers a question some of you might have. Have you ever uh, been going through the day and all of a sudden the worst, the most vile thought came across your mind? Or have you ever exploded with anger at someone and, and when you when you're done, you, you look back and you say, where did that come from? Or have you ever been so overcome with like a smoldering um, jealousy or, or, or fear? Have you ever been just paralyzed by fear? And it just, it just happens so fast. How does all that happen? Where did it come from? Did you know the Bible answers that? Here, look at this. God warns us that we live in a world filled with arrows shot at us daily. Deadly arrows from Satan. And what we're going to see is the whole context for spiritual warfare. And what Satan wants to do is he wants us to doubt God's goodness. He wants us to doubt God's plan. He wants us to doubt God's word. If he can do that, he neutralizes us. And what we'll see is all of Ephesians, this, this wonderful epistle from Paul, is connected. And the truths of this spiritual warfare section we're going to concentrate on, which is uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 24, spirit-empowered warfare, it can only be spirit-empowered when we understand Ephesians 5.18, spirit-filled submission to God and one another. Now, over here, uh, just the big picture, the book of Ephesians in the city of Ephesus, first of all, it was a miracle church. I mean, when I explain to you, it's just unbelievable there's even a church in Ephesus, right in Satan's shadow. Uh, it's almost like uh, in his backyard, uh, the Lord snuck in and, and built the greatest church of the New Testament world, the greatest revival, the greatest missionary sending church. Also, this letter to the Ephesians was one of Paul's prison epistles. And uh, it has a divine sequence. It's a beautiful way to see that the first three chapters of Ephesians talk about everything that God did for us. And then the second three chapters, chapter 4, 5, and 6, is all about what God expects from us. So this divine sequence that theologians call position, 1 to 3, and practice, 4 to 6. Then we've already seen the connected topics of submission and warfare. But here is why, number five, is why we have this title. God gives us an urgent warning that Satan wants to, to neutralize us, to get us disconnected from God. So that's what we're going to look at. So I'm sitting down, and what I want you to think about is that I'm sitting right across from you, and we're having a small group Bible study. Now, this is so important because Bonnie and I just got back from two months traveling overseas, teaching and preparing and ministering, doing evangelism. Uh, I, I can remember Bonnie and I were involved in food distribution to some of the homeless. I mean, all kinds of different things we were doing. But you know what? We were away from our local church, our 
body of believers we love and know and minister to and, and that they know us. Now, it's wonderful to travel all around and, and work with the next generation and do evangelism, but it's very hard. And so what really kept us going was this small group. I, when, I, when I write in my journal and when I read with you like I did this morning, again, I read through the whole book of Ephesians. I was writing my last minute thoughts and preparations in my journal because I was thinking that I was going to be getting together with you, just like I have for years, discipling small groups. So if, if you want to know the context of, of what I'm doing here, and, and Bonnie's right over there recording, and I'm sitting here, and I have all my notes and Bibles and notebooks and slides, but I'm meeting one-on-one -on -one with you, and it's a mutual meeting. As I meet with you, your prayers and your encouragement, I read those incredible notes that you write at the bottom of the videos. They are so encouraging to us. You say, we're praying for you, we're praying for strength, and we're, you know, just feel like we're going with you, and, and we're partnering with you as you serve. That's what kept us going those two months, your prayers. In fact, Bonnie said to me, she couldn't believe how our 17 interconnected flights and all of our train rides and, and uh, uh, van rides and everything that we did, everything, and all of our COVID tests. I mean, uh, all of those nasal swabbings and, and everything that you have to do to travel these days, everything flowed together. Why? Because God was blessing this ministry, I believe, because of your prayers. So thank you. Okay, let's look at the slides and we'll get started. Uh, we are on week 42 of the 52 Greatest Chapters. Now remember, you can go to our 52 Greatest Chapters of the Bible Facebook page. Uh, it actually says that, the 52 Greatest Chapters. And you can get the study and print it out, and I'll show you in my journal in a little while. Uh, this passage of Scripture we're studying is Ephesians 6. Here's my title. Remember, what I do is I write a title for, for in one sentence, uh, of this chapter, and after reading it through and working all week, I wrote, God warns that we live in a world filled with deadly arrows shot at us daily. And I'm going to show you that right there in Ephesians 6. Now, let me explain that, because this is something that many believers, if they're a new believer they've never heard of, if they're a believer that's grown up in a, in a church that didn't systematically teach the Bible, they've never heard this. So this is what I call the reality that we face spiritual terrorists daily. Each day we walk through life, Satan's dark realm has well-placed archers, arrows ignited and ready to shoot. Impure thoughts are a flaming arrow that the shield of faith can extinguish. That's what we're going to learn today. So are the flaming darts of anger. Pride, fear, despair, covetousness, jealousy, and every other well-aimed fleshly temptation. If Satan's team can land an arrow, and we saw that in his attack of Eve in the garden. Do you remember way back in uh, chapter, or, I mean, the second week of our study when we did three and four and Satan's attack on Eve back there in Genesis? But look at this. The impact and splatter of his fiercely burning pitch on that arrow can ignite within our minds doubts about God's goodness, distrust about God's plan, 
and disobedience to God's word. Doubt his goodness, distrust his plan, and disobey his word. Now, look up here, because see, this is what Satan wants to do. He wants us to doubt God's goodness. Uh, like saying, oh, God isn't going to let me ever be happy. I can't find a, someone to marry, or I can't find a good job. Whatever we're struggling with, doubting that God is good. God's eternal character, one of his attributes, as we read about in our systematic theology, that's a resource, and as we read about in our study Bible, that's a resource, that's one of his attributes. And when we doubt him, we've given Satan a foothold in our life. Remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. That he is what? What he has revealed in his word that he is. That he is good. And then we distrust God's plan. We say, what's wrong with your timing? What's wrong? You, I have this need. I want to get well. I need money. I'm looking for, you know, whatever, finishing this or finding that. And why isn't God helping me? And what we don't realize is God is helping us. And God is, he knows the end from the beginning, and he's making us do the hardest thing. The hardest thing for me, and maybe the hardest thing for you, wait. Why? Because we need him then. We have to trust him. We have to cling to him. So Satan doesn't want us to, to uh, trust God's goodness. He doesn't want us to trust God's plan. And he doesn't want us to obey God's word. Okay, back down to the slide. So those terrorists are shooting those arrows at us and igniting within our mind doubts. So watch out for that. Remember, doubts, distrust, and disobedience. That's Satan's simple goal. Do you see how simple he can neutralize us? Satan wins if he can make this flaming dart start a wedge between us as believers, between you and your husband or your wife, between uh, you and your parents or you and your children or you and your employer or you and your brothers or sisters in Christ at church, between us and our Father. Wow. Only the shield of faith, and we're going to see that's our central focus in the armor, can extinguish those flaming arrows. But what's the shield of faith? And this might be the most important part of today. Holding on to the truth of God and acting upon it even when it is unseen. So this is my challenge. And this is when I'd lean across the table and I'd say, Take up the shield today, because without that shield, look at this, it's impossible to please God. Now, let, let me talk about this for a minute, and I'm going to use my Bible here. Now, remember, this whole 52-chapter study started at Panera, Starbucks, Chipotle. Uh, those were the three places where I met my 10 small groups. As a pastor, I taught the congregation that to get ready for living through the darkest days of earth, the end of days in which we live, Satan's constant waves of deception and temptation, that it's wonderful to attend a big church service. When I used to preach, there were a thousand people in, in the service, the first service, and then there was a second service, big church. When I was at Grace, there were, with John MacArthur, there were 3,500, 3,500 in every service. That's great. That's like being in a stadium watching a game. 
But how do you get close enough to someone that asks you, are you really reading your Bible every day? Are you just acting like it? Or where, where are you reading? What did you read today? Do you see Christian life is a community that's close. The, the early church, uh, Bonnie and I, just last month, I was teaching in Greece, and we went around the archaeological ruins of Corinth, and we looked at all the archaeological signs and, and all the books and everything we studied, and we took our field trips, our students there. Do you know what they said? There's not a house that was in Corinth that could fit more than 100 people inside or in its courtyard, the, the courtyard that was usually in the center of Roman homes. That means Paul ministered for a year and a half to a congregation of a hundred or less because the Bible tells us that they all met in one home. That's what it says. We, we know that. It says in Romans, the church that met in your house. And that's when that epistle was written from Corinth to Rome. And, and Paul commended the, the wonderful host of the church. And he says that our church met in a home. So that means there was a hundred or less people in the church in Corinth. A hundred's about the size of a church that you can get to know almost everybody in the church. Most of us can't handle more than about a hundred different people in life and really know them. That's why it's so important for us to be connected so that someone can come up to us and say, what verse are you memorizing this week? What can I pray for? How are you seeing God at work in your life? When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Those are all the 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 questions that stir us up to serving the Lord. Okay, back to the slides. It's impossible to please God, do you see, without faith. And we need to take up that shield today. And we need to be asking those that we are close to whether they have that shield of faith. Uh, remember where we are? We're, we're seeking to understand God's word by taking this 52-week long journey. Now, if some of you have just joined us, uh, you're, you're in week 42. And you have two choices. You can go back to week one and start at the beginning, or you can just keep traveling on with us. It doesn't matter. But we're looking at spiritual warfare and armor. We're surveying the whole Bible. How? By looking at 52 of the 1,189 chapters. See, there are 1,189 chapters in 66 books, but the 52 that we're studying completely summarize every part of the Bible. And we're learning to apply it by using the devotional method. What's the devotional method? Number one, you get a title. Now, look up, see my title right there? God warns us that we live in a world filled with arrows. These deadly arrows shot at us daily. That's my one sentence. After reading, I wrote down in my journal, after a few days of going through, by the way, the way I do it is, whatever our passage is, I read it all each day. Now, me, I always was an eager beaver in school. So you know what? I not only read Ephesians 6, I read the whole book. It doesn't take that long to read the whole book. And it really gives me the big picture of what God is doing. So back to our slide. We write a title. After we read through the passage, we summarize it in one sentence. Then we find as many lessons, truths, doctrines as we can find in our own words. And so that means that whatever you write is, is good. Some people, they're, they, they, they're afraid that someone's going to correct what they wrote and it's going to be dumb and they're going to laugh at them. No, 
This is your journal, write it in your own words, and then look, here, here's the essence. Write a prayer in which you ask the Lord to unleash one or more of those truths or lessons that you found into your life. And then try, as I'll tell you at the end, every week, to find someone to share those with, okay? So here's my journal. I write week 42 at the top of the page, Ephesians 6. Here's my title. Um, now, remember, every time I read, I write a, a different title. The one I showed you on the board was my first one. I keep enlarging it. This is a very long, it's more than one sentence, so I'm breaking the rules. But how do we follow the Lord in every dimension of life? While facing constant demonic terrorists seeking to hinder our life, our marriage, our family, and our work. See, the more I read chapter 6, those are all topics in chapter 6. Our life, our marriage, remember I told you it starts back in chapter 5 about submitting to one another, our family. Chapter 6 talks about parents and children, and it talks about our work. That's the context of Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare, and what we're going to study this week of the armor of God. Then I summarize after reading, now, now look up, do you remember we have this resource, the MacArthur Study Bible? When you read the MacArthur Study Bible, you see a map of Ephesus, you see a map of Paul's journeys, you, you have all these footnotes, and so you kind of get a bigger picture. So look back at my summary. I wrote, we all are targets. Each day as you and I awake and walk out into life, we face an ambush. Unseen demonic enemies are tracking us to shoot and wound us. They're armed. They're ready to unleash fiery arrows with deadly accuracy. There's only one defense. The shield of faith. That's our focus in God's word today. Taking the shield of faith. Quenching the fiery darts. Standing for God. And the question we need to ask each other, and I ask you across the table, how did the battle go this week? Now, one of the things I do, and I'm going to read it to you, is share in my small group with some of the resources I have. And I, I love the translation of the Bible by J.B. Phillips. Now, you can't read that every day. It's, it's just one of the many versions of the Bible, but it's really interesting in Ephesians 6. And so this is what I wrote. His rendering of the Greek language really helps us feel the fight around us. Now, listen to God's voice. When we read the Bible, it's God's voice as I read his word. Here it is, starting in verse 10. In conclusion, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord, in the power of his boundless resource. Put on God's complete armor so that you can successfully resist all the devil's methods of attack. For our fight is not against any physical enemy. It's against organizations and powers that are spiritual. We're up against the unseen power that controls this dark world and spiritual agents, I call them terrorists, from the very headquarters of evil. Therefore, you must wear the whole armor of God, that you may be able to resist the evil in its day of power, that even when you have fought to a standstill, you may still stand your ground. Take your stand then, with truth as your belt, righteousness as your breastplate, the gospel of peace firmly on your feet, salvation as your helmet, and in your hand, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Above all, be sure to take faith as your shield, for it can quench every burning missile the enemy hurls at you. Wow, I love that. 
Okay, here are the lessons I found, and I'm just going to run through them real quickly. Ephesians 5, 18 to 6, 9 is the context for the rest of the chapter. When filled by the Spirit, every dimension of our life changes. There are seven transformations listed in this passage. Now, look over here at my Bible, and I'm going to show you how I mark them. Uh, and, and this is what I mean about reading the Bible through every day. Um, it says uh, right here in verse 18, do not be, this is Ephesians 5. Well, right there is 5. And verse 18, right there. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be being filled with the Spirit. So that's a present passive imperative. It's a, a constant filling by the Lord. And then it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things. Whoa. Verse 20, the way you know you're full of the Spirit is you can thank God when you have a flat tire and when you lose your job and when you get COVID and when you're out of money and when you feel horrible. Because only fullness of the Holy Spirit produces that immediate byproduct of giving thanks. But look at this. This is what I'm talking about, the seven. See, I wrote my Bible. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, here we go. What are they? Well, everyone submits to one another. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, we are not proud and domineering. We're mutually submissive to those all around us. That means to uh, those in the church and those in our family and those in government and those in law enforcement. I mean, we're submitting to one another in the fear of God. And Paul's already covered that in Romans 13 about authorities and everything else. But then look, we each have a role in life, a gender-specific role. So number two, right here in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, Paul didn't say that. God said that. And number three in verse 23, husbands, uh, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. So husbands have a role that they submit to God to be the leader of the family and of the marriage. And I mean, that's another, I mean, I can't go into marriage and family. I have a whole course on that, uh, and I've written two books on that. But that's the third byproduct of being full of the Spirit. Mutual submission, wives submit their husbands, husbands leave uh, their, their selfishness they were born with, and start loving, look at verse 25, their wife, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So a spirit-filled husband will sacrifice for his wife and serve her like Christ serves the church. And look at number four, children will obey their parents. That's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's filling, number four in chapter six, verse one. Employees, look at number five, verse five there of chapter six, employees will obey their, their employers. Wow. That's, I mean, I could go into that deeply. We don't see much of that nowadays. We see striking and complaining. But we are supposed to, whoever uh, we work for, we're supposed to have this submission the Spirit brings. And then employers, if you're the the one who's in charge of leading, you're a, um, someone that, that looks over other employees, you are supposed to do the same thing, give up threatening, knowing that your master is in heaven. So, so employers are supposed to bow to the fact that there is a master watching over them, 
which is what all of us are to do, is to be under the headship of Christ, which just completes the whole submission. Okay, back to the slides. Uh, so that's the context. That's my first observation. In chapter 6, children, God says he's designed the authority and roles of parents to children, and obedience is what he expects. Then in verses 5 to 9, he says, workers obey their masters, uh, work sincerely as to Christ. We are Christ's bondservants. We do God's will from the heart. We work for the Lord. God will reward any good done for him in any context. So remember, most of these were slaves back then. And God says, you get rewards in heaven for being a good slave in the Roman Empire. Wow. Then, starting in verse 10, look at this. This is just my notes. As I'm reading, I observe this. The first three pieces of armor are modified by one command, to stand. Thus, in order to stand, there must be present a waist girded by truth. Why first? God's word, his truth, is to surround my life. Truth first, then righteousness. Righteousness flows from truth. Okay, now look at verse, uh, I mean my fifth lesson. Life is a constant cosmic struggle that only God can get us through. We need his protection. He strengthens us. Uh, verse 10 is a passive imperative. Verse 11, we put, a, we put on for ourselves his gear. So this is something we have to do. And, and we have to remind ourselves to put this on. And verse 12 says, we face an awful foe that promotes evil and wickedness. We must actively, verse 13, take up our armor daily. Verse 14, the goal is to stand. Uh, peace is to shod or protect our walk by choice. Above all the other pieces, faith is a shield that must constantly deploy, be deployed to quench those fiery darts. And the helmet and the sword must also be used. My sixth observation, prayer, is to be constant. Uh, and Paul said, pray for me that I'll be bold in speaking as Christ's ambassador. Now remember last week, we were in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and we're all ambassadors. Paul said, we're all ambassadors. He was an ambassador, you and I are an ambassador. So that's how we can pray for each other. And then the chapter ends, people can bring comfort, uh, verse 21 or verse 22. We need to know how others are doing uh, some are not sincere in their love. So I was just, those are just my notes. Um, now, here's my Bible. And uh, look back at Ephesians 6. And when I study 6, look what I do. I'm turning back to page and turning back to page. And I start by looking at Ephesus, okay? Because you always have to get, you know, Ephesians was written to a specific group of people in a specific place. Now, Look at the slide. Ephesians 6 tells us, number one, about the miracle church. It was, it was planted in Satan's shadow. Now here's just a little bit about Ephesus. It's right here on the map. This is modern day Turkey, right here. This would be Turkey on a map. This is Syria today. Down here is Israel. Lebanon's right in the middle. Uh, right here. So Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Turkey today. So see, Paul left his home church over here in Syrian Antioch, and he walks and goes to Ephesus. This is the third missionary journey. Acts 19 is where the whole birth of the church at Ephesus is, is explained. This is what it looked like when Paul walked into town. I'm going to show you in a second a picture of this theater. It held 20,000 people. 
Uh, this, this is the amazing main street. Uh, this, this street and this street, you can see uh, even today in the excavations. And this is the harbor where people sailed up. This is Satan's shadow. This is the temple of Artemis. That huge temple with all the evil and occult and materialism and sensuality that went on there. That's what that temple looked like. Uh, it was the one of the seven wonders of the world. And this was probably infested, this temple, with so many demons. It was also inhabited by all these temple prostitutes and, and evil. And by the way, they had a rule back then that if you were within reach of the temple, if you were in the temple precinct, which was actually this perimeter down here at the base of these uh, stairways, if you stayed inside the perimeter, anywhere in here, you could not be prosecuted. And so everybody in trouble and thieves and muggers and everybody else hung out around here. Of course, uh, you know, it probably became hard to eat and they'd sneak off and get caught. But this was not a good place. It was demonic. It was sensual, immoral, full of witchcraft, materialism and everything, of course, and false gods. Uh, this is that theater. And this is the street I told you about right here, the, the street that went down to the harbor. And this is the street that goes into town. But this is a 20,000 seat theater. And we remember from Acts 19, that's where Paul uh, went in and they wouldn't let him go and, and uh, stay there because the people, there's 20,000 people chanting, great is Diana, the Ephesians, and they were afraid they'd rip him apart, so they sent him away. Um, but this is the miracle, and I call it God's Word Prevailed in Dark Ephesus. Ephesus experienced one of the greatest revivals in biblical history, and right there is where it is, Acts 19. Paul went to the godless heart of the Eastern Roman Empire, city of Ephesus. There he confronted the evils of daily life that godliness begets. Materialism, pride, occultism, and sensuality. The results are worthy of our attention. First, the kingdom of darkness is left shaken to the core, confused and fighting against itself. Secondly, look at this, God called out. In fact, ekklesia is the Greek word, ek is out of, and ecclesia is called. That's what the church, that's, ecclesia is the word church in the New Testament. The church at Ephesus was the ecclesia of Ephesus, which means the called out ones in Ephesus. Who calls? God called out a group of believers that would form one of the greatest churches of the New Testament era. By their zenith at the top, they numbered as many as 50,000. And, and Ephesus was the home church of Paul. I mean, he, he was there for three years. Mary, the mother of our Lord, John, the apostle. And by the way, there's in Ephesus, the temple of Domitian, who exiled John off to Patmos. Isn't that something? Timothy followed Paul as the pastor and was martyred. In fact, Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus first in Revelation because of their zeal and fervency for him. God's word prevailed in dark Ephesus. Okay, a second element. Ephesians is a prison epistle. Look at this, as Paul awaited trial before Nero. Now think about this. Remember, Paul wrote 13 epistles, 
last week, remember, we looked at Galatians, and now we're, we're looking at Ephesians, and look, Ephesians was written between 60 and 62 while Paul was in prison, either in Caesarea or in Rome. Now, this is called his first imprisonment. During his second imprisonment down here, he writes 2 Timothy. Between these two, Paul is out and he's traveling and he's able to visit other churches. And he goes to Corinth and writes to Titus, the book of Titus. He, in either Thessalonica or Philippi, he writes to Timothy. And then 2 Timothy comes as he's on death row. So this epistle is a prison epistle. Now remember Paul's life, he's saved. Then this huge block of time of training, uh, 13 to 14 years of training. See, Paul trained 14 years in order to serve for 10 years. And he starts serving in his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey. And look, his third missionary journey, that's where we are in Ephesus, uh, Paul is planting this church. And then look over here during this huge block of time he's writing uh, between his time in Caesarea and Rome, he's writing the prison epistles before his final imprisonment and martyrdom. So Ephesians 6 is a byproduct of the miracle church, the greatest revival right in Satan's shadow, uh, the prison epistle Paul's writing it, waiting to go before Nero, not knowing about the future. But look at thirdly, when God inspired this book, there's a divine sequence. Now, look over at my Bible here. I'm going to show you. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us. Look what verse 3 says. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us. He predestined us. He made us. All of this, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, Look back at the slide, is about our position. Chapters 1 through 3, what does that mean? What God did for us. All of chapter 1, 2, and 3 is all about what God has done. He saved us, he called us, he, he brought us to alive in Christ. Now, chapters 4 to 6 is about our practice. What does that mean? What God expects of us. Look over at my Bible, chapter 4. I, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Now, remember, therefore, always is, is a device to make us look back. Therefore, based on all that God has done, Paul said, while I'm a prisoner here in Roman prison, I beseech you, walk worthy of your calling. Chapters 1 through 3 are your calling. The, the conduct is starting in chapter 4. Chapter 5, I mean, look at, look at all this. Very Chapter 4, verse 25, put away lying. Verse 26, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Let no corrupt word. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness be put away from you. Do you see all of these practical, and then be filled, verse 18, we already looked at. Be filled with the Spirit. Look back at the slide. All of those are what God expects from us. Okay? So Ephesians 6 is... Uh, letter to the Miracle Church. It's a, a prison epistle. It's a divine sequence. And it contains verse 10 of chapter 6. Our imperative. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It's the imperative mood. What does that mean? It's a command. 
It's in the present tense in the Greek language. What does that mean? It's an ongoing present action. Be continually right now in the present time strong. And it's the form in the Greek is it's passive, the voice. It means it's not something we do, but we receive the action. We are supposed to allow the Lord to strengthen us. How does he do that? Last month when we were teaching the book of Romans and the book of Galatians in Rome, we went and stood as a field trip at Trajan's Column. Trajan was the emperor right after uh, Domitian from 98 to 117. And on th this is actually part of his column. It has over 2,600 uh, little people on the column. And if you get with a camera and look, this is one of the people. But look, it's a Roman soldier wearing his Roman armor. And in 113, he's commemorating how he was victorious because his soldiers were, were doing what they were supposed to do. They were wearing, look, the helmet and the breastplate and the sword and... Um, you can't see the feet, but they're shod. So that reminds us of this. And this is right out of, I've, I've reminded you that another great tool is the Logos Bible software. This is what's on my computer. This is their graphic of the armor of God. And here's the armor of God, the belt of truth. Do you see it right there? And you can read all about it, how important it was. And the breastplate of righteousness right there and the sandals of the gospel of peace, right there they are. And the shield, look at that great big shield of faith. And it describes it, the size and how vital it was. And the helmet, I mean, if a soldier got hit, knocked on the head, he was out of commission. The only offensive weapon right there, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then, you know what's interesting? Most people only talk about the six pieces of armor. Actually, there's, there's kind of a, another piece that might be one of the most important, our heavy artillery. Prayer is in verse 18, where it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. So we see uh, that there are these connected topics. Now, look up here on the board. I want to remind you of what I said about this that God connects Ephesians 5, spirit-filled living, where we're submissive to God and to one another and fulfill our roles with this spirit-empowered warfare. And that's what's so important, to obey the Lord and to see this connection that in the slide you see spirit-empowered warfare, all this gear doesn't work if we're not willing to submit to the Lord and obey. So, this is what I call our spiritual defense system. And this is kind of an under, um, kind of like a foundational element to this whole study. The 52 chapters will not be used by God to change your life if you are not exercising spiritual health. What is that? Eating and drinking in God's word, plus exercising by walking in the spirit. That's spiritual health. Your your finding refreshment in Christ and sustenance from his word and obeying him by yielding to the spirit. That's part one of, of being healthy and defending against the evils of Satan. Number two is what we're looking at in this chapter, spiritual armor, using the armor God commands uh, in, in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. 
then that leads to what most of us don't even think about, resisting the devil and his demons with spiritual warfare. By the way, these three are vitally connected. If you neglect spiritual health, if you neglect putting on the armor, if you neglect resisting the evil one, any part of our spiritual immune system, Satan and his army have a point to target in their relentless campaign. Now, look up for a second. Let me, let me kind of put this into modern context. Did you use hand cleaner today? Did you wash your hands for 20 seconds? Like everywhere, I mean, there's a sign in every public restroom. The, the Center for Disease Control says, wash your hands for 20 seconds. Remember these two years of COVID, how all of a sudden the unseen enemy all around us, this invisible enemy, all of a sudden America and the world got aware that there is this deadly enemy out there that we have to wear our face masks, wash our hands, not touch our eyes and nose and mouth, and get these deadly pathogens into our system. Well, do you know what's more deadly than COVID? COVID can only ruin your health and your body. Spiritual pathogens can destroy the soul, can neutralize. See up there? These Pathogens from Satan can make us doubt God's goodness and distrust his plan and disobey his word. It can make us not useful to God. That's worse than having COVID. Okay, look back at the slide. Our spiritual defense system, don't neglect any part of it. Eat and drink and exercise and wear the armor and resist the devil. Okay. Miracle Church, Prison Epistle, Divine Sequence, the connected topic of this spirit-filled submission and spirit-empowered warfare. And by the way, the spirit won't empower our warfare if we're not submitting to him and obeying um, all that we talked about from 5.18 to 6.9 in the book of Ephesians. But look at this. The final thing about Ephesians 6 starts in verse 10 with the urgent warnings. Now look over here in my Bible at verse 10. Finally, so Paul's written all this, you know, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, down through verse 9, and it says, finally, my brethren, and look at this. These are imperatives, present passive imperative. Be strong. Remember, we covered that already. Put on. Take up. Stand. Why is all this? Well, because verse 12, we aren't wrestling against flesh and blood. It isn't your boss or your neighbor or your uh, person at school or work that bothers you all the time that's the real problem. It's principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness. By the way, rulers, cosmocrators. The, the word is cosmocrator in Greek. Kind of sounds like Star Wars or something. But the rulers of the darkness of this age spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. They're arrayed against us. They're worse than all of the, the COVID-19 virus because this impacts our soul. And Paul says, look back at the slide, I urgently warn you, we're facing the deadliest foe of all. What are the fiery darts, by the way? L look, um, let me find it over here, uh, the darts. 
it's in, ah, it's in verse 16 over here. I want to get that before I do this slide. Above all, taking verse 16, the shield of faith with which you will be able to, look at this, quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now look at the slide. What are the fiery darts? Every day we are bombarded by the forces of the darkness of this world. Each believer faces an arsenal of wickedness shot by a skilled warrior that's been ambushing humans for thousands of years. The arrow choices at the disposal of the realm of darkness exactly match every way that the God of this world, Satan, has found to attack us humans. What are the fiery darts? Well, at any moment, Satan can send our way darts to inflame immoral desires, darts to spark a smoldering fire of hatred, darts to ignite us into flaming anger, darts to swallow us into the shadows of doubt, darts to consume our hearts with covetousness. I mean, there's some people that are just neutralized because they want a bigger and better house and car and, and digital device and clothing and, and whatever. Darts that swell us with pride. Darts to plunge us into fear. Darts to tip us over into despair. That's what Satan can do. Those are the fiery darts. That's why this lesson is so important. Satan shoots us, by the way, when we're down. Look at this. When we face pain, Satan says, God isn't really good. And you know what God says in his word? Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not on thy own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. When we face sorrow because something, you know, has overwhelmed us and we're sorry, immediately Satan whispers in our ear and shoots us with a doubt about God and says, God doesn't really care. You know what the Lord says? You have to trust me that I love you. And I'm not going to, no good thing will I withhold from you. And I'm not going to let any evil befall you. When we're tempted and we really want something that we don't have, Satan says, God doesn't understand your needs. You need to take matters into your own hands. God doesn't understand that, that you need that job or you need that security or you need that wife or you need that husband or you need that relationship. And you know what God says? Trust my timing. I haven't given you that yet because I want you to trust me, need me, seek me, rest in me. Then we lose someone our husband, our wife, our child, our parent, or our job, or our health. And we think, oh no, God isn't strong enough to keep me from getting COVID, or keep me from losing my job, or keep me from losing my beloved uh, helpmeet and partner. You know what the Lord says? I'm taking everything and everyone out of your life so I can be closest. Wow, I mean, this is clearly what we face every day Satan's lies and God's truth. When we get sick, Satan says, oh, God's not in control. You know what? The Lord says, fear not. Fear not. I, I'm, I think COVID has really revealed how much fear we have. People are, are just going crazy with fear. God says, trust me, my power. I, I am able to keep you. And lust, when, when we're facing lust, uh, uh, a consuming desire for something, 
Satan says, God doesn't really want you to be happy. That's why he's not letting you have that. And God says, hey, trust my plan. Okay, how do we apply this whole chapter? Well, this is my prayer that I wrote. And it's from the whole chapter, starting in verse 1. And I said, Lord, I want to be an encouraging and nurturing dad. I want to work as your employee. So verses 1 through 4, verses 5 through 9. Keep me standing in your armor, verses 10 onward. Help me to take up that shield that I can stand and honor you. Help me to also speak boldly today. And that was my first prayer. Amen. And then I had another one. The next time I work through this, Lord, I want to be a righteous man. I want to be buckled in by the belt of truth. I want to be wearing righteous choices. I want to grow in understanding Bonnie and leading her by serving her in Christ-honoring humility. Thank you for your promised help. Well, it's time for us to go. I just have uh, two more slides, two final challenges. Here they are. Find someone you can share your findings with in your application prayer and pray for us. So I, I look up at you and say, get your notebook. This is your introduction to the study of Ephesians 6. Spend this whole week. Now remember, this, this is a week-long journey. Spend the week in the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 6. And as you're in chapter 6, remember that the book of Ephesians is from Acts 19's Miracle Church. It was written while Paul was under Roman imprisonment. It has this divine sequence of our position, everything God has done and everything God expects from us. It's connected to the fullness of the Spirit, and it has this urgent warning in it. And Satan, over here, wants to shoot his arrows at us. And he wants us to doubt God's goodness and his plan and his word. So what, what's the solution? Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. And start submitting to what God has told us our role and his desires for us are in his word. And then be strong in the Lord. What does that mean? Let the Lord be our strength instead of us trying harder like we saw last week in Galatians. It's not you trying harder to resist temptation or fear or lust or covetousness or whatever, anger or anxiety or whatever you struggle with. It's saying, Lord, I want to be strong in you. That's why the, the helmet, we have to understand salvation and have his righteousness and be held in by his truth and have that sword and the peace and the faith and constantly needing God in prayer. So my, my earnest exhortation to you is that you take seriously the forces of darkness around us, the arrows coming your way, and resist them by faith, claiming the promises of God and letting the word of God be that shield that quenches all those fiery darts from Satan. Have a great week in God's word. And I can't wait to come back next week. We're going to just keep on going, but focus on Ephesians 6, and we'll see you next time.